our first point literally is on the character of God, and we'll get there in a moment at, uh, to kind of set things up a little bit today. Um, our text, John, uh, today we'll begin in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1 in 1 John, and he's going to talk to us about walking in the light. That's uh, the title that I've picked for our sermon today because it fits so well, I think, with what he's going to lay out for us here. Um, but to set that up a little bit, so he's talking about light, and it, it, it includes physical light. The lights are on, we can see. God is light. And uh, that, that is all that we can see. Uh, that sometimes uh, people will wonder, you know, you look at the order of the steps of creation, and how could there be light before the planets and all that were, were created? Well, God is light. All he has to say is light, and it's light. Uh, you know, now if he chooses to use the sun to light our world, his option, he can say light, and it'll be light. God is light. And so uh, it includes physical light, but it also uh, is a light that will point us to Jesus. So it's uh, the uh, light of the knowledge of God, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ in particular. And so God is light as opposed to dark. And so, but we look around our world in a very confused world, very confused world, walking in the dark. And everywhere we look, we see people stumbling and falling because they have no ability to see. Your lost family members, your lost co-workers, your neighbors are literally in the dark. They don't know the truth, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ uh, to uh, 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 help bring some context to, to that. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, talked about that, if I get my right page here. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me just read a couple verses for you, talking about the world, about the lost. Uh, he had mentioned the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And skipping down to verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. True light, ultimate light, knowledge of the truth. The truth as understood in Jesus Christ. But that's not where our world is at. Not today, never has been since that fall there in the Garden of Eden as the darkness started to set in there in the Garden and ever since. Uh, maybe uh, that would... Uh, Something that would help us to uh, think about this a little bit is if we look at starting points. Where do, where do we begin? What's a good philosophical starting point for the believer? Well, here it is. This is John again in chapter 1 of his gospel, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that has been made. So there we have a creator. First we have God in the beginning was the word, big capital W, talking about Jesus. We referenced this last week. Um, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So in the beginning was God. That's our philosophical starting point, not the creation. Yes, we believe God created it, but that's not where we start. We start with God. In the beginning was God, and all things were made through him. There's the creation. So, the, so now we have a God. We have creator. And we have purpose because it is the creator God. It didn't just happen. To 
look at the other side of that. There's, uh, he's with the Lord now, uh, but he was a, a Christian legal scholar, Philip E. Johnson. He, the guy was brilliant. And uh, he, uh, logical argument was his thing. And, and, and uh, he wrote opinions for the Supreme Court, things like that. He was, he was a brilliant legal scholar, Presbyterian guy, saved later in life. But he, he was a primary uh, spokesman in debating the whole issue of creation and evolution. Darwin on trial, multiple books that he wrote, and very helpful in that. His last book in 2002 called The Right Questions. What are the right questions we should be asking? And he says this uh, in relation to the starting point. This is your secular, your, your non-saved neighbors and friends. This is their starting point. In the beginning were the particles and the impersonal laws of physics. And the particles somehow became living stuff. And the stuff imagined God, but then discovered evolution. That's your unsaved neighbor and friend. It's all an accident. It all happened by chance. It's random. <laughs> Somehow this material came together and became living stuff. And wonder of wonders, look what we have. You see the total difference in starting points. We have a personal creator God who made it all and gives it purpose. And then there's the other side of that where it's totally random and there is no purpose, and don't we see that in our world today? The lack of purpose and of value and what's it all about anyway uh, is all around us. And he went on a little further, and this is interesting and I think helpful in this subject of light and dark. So he comments in his book, he says, uh, if you're lost in a dark cave and you see a light approaching, you know that help is on the way, and the light will guide you back out of the cave. You ever experienced total dark? and maybe do a cave tour or a mine or something, they shut the lights off, and now it's dark, dark. It's not just, you know, at night dark. It's no light. That's, that's what he's talking about. You see a light coming. Okay, help is on the way. He, later on, he says, if, if men ignore the reality of the word, capital W, if men ignore the reality of the word and instead pursue a story based on the particles... This misguided course ought to lead them into error and confusion, back into the darkness of the cave instead of out into the light. People who start from the wrong, the wrong foundation don't just make one error, they create a tower of errors, and don't we see it all around us? A tower of errors. Our whole economy is built on it. The tower of errors, the wrong foundation. Jesus in John 3.19 mentions that men love darkness rather than light. We love it. Uh, in, in the dark, we can do things, and when we think that people don't see, we can get away with stuff. Men and women love the dark. Isaiah, in chapter 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And isn't that our day? Evil is now good, because it makes me feel good. And it's a, it's a, a self in a, a, a feelings-based system that we see all around us in the dark. People are in the dark, they don't know. So if it feels good, it's got to be good. John, uh, continuing now 
in his uh, uh, in chapter one there after telling us that there is the that the, uh, the word is God and he's the creator he was the creative agent and he made everything in uh, verse four and five now in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and has not overcome it Jesus is the light both as the creator God but as that ultimate light who gives light to men and women that we can know God and have a relationship with God. Jesus is the light. And that's what we're going to look at here today. We're going to start, though, where John starts. Let me read uh, in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read from 5 through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And then we'll come back and take it apart a little bit and see what maybe the Lord has for us today. So John, uh, first John, I'll, I'll get it right. Uh, honest, I'm in first John. First John, chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him, with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for sin, the sins of the whole world. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, uh, thank you for beginning our time together just with wonderful praise focused on you. Lord, we pray this morning that you would be exalted, that that your name would be lifted up, that, that our understanding of you would be just a little bit more clear this morning when we leave. Lord, maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you. Lord, our prayer for them is that they would know you today. So Lord, I pray as we look at, uh, at your text that you would guide our thinking, keep us from error, help us to see what the Spirit is saying to us through this text today. Uh, thank you for this gathering, for this time to be together. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, our first point, the character of God, right there in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The message we have heard from him. Remember, we've, we labored this a little bit last week uh, in our introduction, but John had spent extensive time with Jesus uh, he knew him as few, maybe none of the other apostles knew Jesus in the way that John did. Remember, he's the one at the Last Supper that leaned back on the Lord's breast. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus had just said, one of you is going to betray me. And you can see Peter between mouthfuls. Ask him who it is. And he leans back. Who is it, Lord? And nobody heard it when he said, the one that I give the, the morsel to. And uh, uh, John was that, that intimate with the Lord. And... Uh, the message we have heard from him. And so in John chapter uh, 14, 
there's uh, Jesus is in the uh, upper room discourse, as we call it here, but he's in that, that last night with his men. And uh, they're asking him questions, and they're going back and forth. And uh, uh, Thomas, uh, again, poor Thomas, right? We, <laughs> we mentioned him last week, right? The, I won't believe unless I can see him and touch the wounds. But Thomas asks him, which seems like... Uh, an innocent enough question. Thomas, uh, Jesus had just got done saying, you know the way where I'm going in verse 4 of John 14. Jesus had just said, you know where I'm going, or the way. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He just contradicts him (laughs) to his face. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There in John 14, 6. Thomas, I am the way. It's been three years, man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the message we have heard from him. And this one I don't have on a slide, but right in that same conversation, then Philip uh, asks a question a little further on. He he says, uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. You can see Jesus just, guys. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, the message that we have seen and heard? Now, that's not all in our text uh, in 1 John. It's not all there. But that's what John is referring to when he's talking to us. Because there's, I think, uh, as you read this uh, epistle of 1 John, there's an underlying assumption that there's some familiarity with what else John has written. Uh, He references it subtly all the way through, that there's a context of, this is John's teacher. Remember, we said he's the apostle. He's the only one left. And when John comes to town and he comes into your church and John is speaking, literally, you're hearing the word of God. That's who John is. And so there's this assumption under, underlying that some of this that they're, they're familiar with John's teaching and we've heard this stuff and he's reminding them and he says God is light. And there's no darkness in God at all. Not a shade of gray. Not an off-white. He's white, hot light. And as we mentioned, we can discern at least two senses of light in John's writings, his broad uh, corpus, if we take in the gospel, his epistles and the revelation. The first one is life. As we mentioned, John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So light, life. So there's one way we can see it, but the other one is, is uh, for, uh, for a broad category, let's call it ethics, but moral purity or truth or revelation, the absolute white-hot purity of everything that God does, everything he says, everything he decrees, how he thinks, who he is, no hint of gray, nothing, just white-hot purity in all ways, and nothing impure in his immediate presence ever. That's the song this morning. All of them. That was awesome, by the way. Thank you. With the choir. But all of it. Holy, holy, 
holy. That's the level of the purity, the white-hot intensity of the light of God's holiness and majesty that John's writing about. A thousand suns would still cast a shadow in the presence of the white-hot light of the, of the purity of God if he were to totally reveal it. That's how pure God is. God is purity. He is holy to the thrice high supreme of holy, holy, holy. And we fall on our faces and worship. Over there in... Get back onto my notes here. Isaiah 6.3 Seraphim one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Even this fallen, cursed earth is full of the glory of God. And did you know that everything, including the fall, will ultimately bring glory to the Lord God? God is holy, holy, holy. That's our first point. The character of God. Uh, when he says it, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's what he's talking about. And the angels in him presence. Absolute pure being. Because God makes them so. Not because they are in themselves. And we who... Uh, uh, our, our fallen sinners saved in Jesus Christ, ultimately that's what he's doing and has done for us that we'll be able to literally stand ultimately in the immediate presence of God. Ours will always be a mediated ability to stand. A mediated. In other words, Jesus Christ put his blood between us and the Father so that we could stand in His very presence. God is holy. Let all the earth be silent. Right? When God speaks, there's nothing else to be heard. Well, there is the light of truth as we uh, live in this fallen world. In case I forget to say it later, I've got a good forgetter. You guys know this by now. Um, but as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when he died and sacrificed himself, and then that day came where we appropriated that righteousness, there's this thing of imputation where the righteousness of Christ is put on us. Our sin was put on him and punished so that justice can be served. But we are utterly holy the Father literally looks and sees purity because of Christ mediating, standing between His righteousness. Now, the fact is, in my lived experience, i got to tell you, I don't live holy all the time. I think bad thoughts. I do dumb things. I say wrong things. I do wrong stuff. We're still sinners that are on the way. In other words, that process of sanctification, I want to make this clear so I don't, it doesn't get obscure in what I may say later. Am I falling apart here? I have a way of doing that. Good thing I taped it on, uh, uh, Samuel, or I'd, I'd be on the ground. All right. 
It's not his fault. It's my odd-shaped head. <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> so we are righteous in Christ, but the fact is we're becoming like Christ. Then there they when we stand in his presence, we're taken from this earth, we die. And we're present with the Lord and made utterly righteous because of him. So there's that process of sanctification. So when I say uh, that we're still sinners, that's the context, okay? So we, we, John gives us here then how we lie to one another. And I'm going to say we lie. We lie. Hopefully in our sanctification we're growing and we lie less. The fact is, remember the Garden of Eden, has God really said? And then, you will not surely die. See, it all began with lies. And we learned that. And we're good at it. We can be be liars. And so, here in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him, it's that fellowship we talked about last week, that fellowship of joy, verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Why is our joy complete? Verse 3, because we have fellowship with one another, but most of all we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we should be known as people of joy if we say we have fellowship with him doesn't mean we don't have bad days and hurt on occasion. But isn't it amazing the joy that the body of Christ expresses even in the midst of suffering? I've seen it. So have you. Kath and I were with some friends just, just a couple days ago that are hurting deeply. Deep hurt. A bunch of us gathered to pray with them. But underneath that hurt, and they're weeping. But there's a joy of knowing, but I know Jesus. So I'm depending on him in the midst of my struggle. There's joy. If we say we have fellowship, yet walk in the darkness, there is an ethical component. We can't rightly claim to walk with the Lord and then live as if he doesn't make any difference in our lives. It doesn't work. Just saying, I belong to Jesus, or I said a prayer when I was six, or whatever. All these things can be helpful and useful, but that in and of itself are just words. Just saying it is not enough. We cannot rightly claim and then live as if he doesn't exist, because when we do, we lie and do not practice the truth. That is, we give a lie to the claim that we're making. I love Jesus, I just don't want to do what he says. Or, I love Jesus, I don't even want to know what he says, so I don't read his word. We give the lie to our claim. Mercifully, John offers us uh, the alternative to that in verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. There's our antidote, if you will. How do we do it? We walk in the light, walk in the knowledge of the will of the Lord and its daily implications. So there can be sometimes really good things that I say no to, not because they're not good in and of themselves, but because I'm looking at something in my life right now that's a better thing. And so I, I learn to walk in wisdom and to make decisions in ways that glorify Him. We 
uh, live out the daily implications. Jesus told his men, John 8, he says in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. How are we going to walk in the light? We follow Jesus. How did Jesus walk? I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only say the words that my Father gives me. In other words, he's utterly, completely submissive to the will of the Father in everything. He's our ultimate model. I want to be that submissive. Fact is, I'm not. But that's, that's, that's our goal. That's our model. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There it is. There it is. Light in the Lord. That is, there's our intermediary again. Jesus, your light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do what Jesus said. Then we can have fellowship with one another that's mentioned up there in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. That's our fellowship with one another, children of the light. We walk in the light. Yes, we still do dumb stuff. (laughs) Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still seek forgiveness. But the fact is we have fellowship because ultimately our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The wonder of that, the fellowship with the Father, the Holy, Holy, Holy One, I can have fellowship with him. That's a blow-your-mind amazing thing. And he wants to have fellowship with us. It's a wonderful thing. Well, so that's lying to others. That's lying to others. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie, verse 6. Now as he goes on in verse 8, we lie to ourselves. We just do. I'm good. I got it all figured out even though I know I don't. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We, we lie to ourselves. Remember, one of the things that I mentioned uh, last week, one of the things John is pushing hard back against in this epistle is this uh, early forms of Gnosticism, this idea that there's some higher plane that certain people are able to achieve and, and they know God better than anybody else. And matter of fact, they got it so knocked that they can, in the body, they can do whatever they want because they're so close with the Lord that my ethics don't even matter. And, 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 the, and Jesus, you know, wasn't really in the flesh anyway. He only seemed to be. Remember the lies. These are the Gnostics. They're lying to themselves. They don't have a clue. Sadly, though, we can rationalize, rationalize away our sin in many forms. And, and we see it. We've done it ourselves. We see people that are, are caught in that. For instance, I know what the Bible says, but it no longer applies in this area. So we think particularly today of uh, issues to do with sexuality and gender and all the rest. Well, yeah, okay, I'll admit that's there, but that applied. And then they then try to distort a context and say that applied there and it has nothing to do with today. See, we're lying to ourselves. Well, yeah, but I know what the Bible says. But God loves me anyway, and, and, and he's told me that it's okay. And so I can be unmarried and live with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend, and it's okay because God understands. 
See, that used to apply, but it doesn't apply anymore. And we lie to ourselves. And, and, and we're back there with Isaiah, those who call evil good and good evil and substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. And we tell the lie to ourselves. But again, mercifully, John gives us the antidote or uh, uh, the other side of this truth. It, verse 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At most, not quite a bit. You know, I'm a lot cleaner than I used to be. All unrighteousness, the divine from the holy, holy, holy one on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, not guilty. We can hear those words. We stop lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. John says there in verse 8, the truth is not in us. You remember Romans 10, Paul said that with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. If we can Stop lying to ourselves, but come to him in confession. He is faithful and just. I love that word just. It's not willy-nilly. Well, I guess I do. I'll decide to love this one so he can be forgiven. No, it's just. It satisfies the righteousness of God because of Christ. The debt is paid. And so it's a just decision. And he's just to forgive us our sins. And that word cleanse, there's our sanctification. We are cleansed, not guilty, but I'm still living a life that gets some dirt in it. So I'm being cleansed, and then I ultimately will be fully cleansed when I'm with him in glory. And so John says, bring your sin, confess your sin, walk in the light and then the last uh, one that he gives us here in verse 10, and this one, this one is hard. Well, they're all hard, but this one we literally lie about God. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We literally call God a liar when we say, I have not sinned, or I'm I'm good. Romans 3.23, here's what God said. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not most, quite a few, several. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The ultimate denial, though, is saying, I haven't sinned, I'm good. And isn't that our world? Even to deny the concept of sin. Yet Paul mentions in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I like the NIV translation there. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses. Not, you know, you, were, you had it pretty rough. What, no, you're dead. You were helpless. You could do nothing. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. But then uh, the, the, the Lord brought in the gospel, so that you can live in light of the gospel. A major part of our believing in Christ for salvation involves repentance. 
And it's something we don't talk about probably enough. But in repentance, basically, we're agreeing with God about our sin, that I'm guilty as charged, and I have no hope without you and your righteousness, your mercy. We can be liars. God offers us the way of salvation. He offers us the alternative. And that's why I love the transition here when you get to chapter 2. Remember, the original didn't have chapter breaks and verses or, or whatever. So John, just as he's going along, again, he's an older man, whether he was penning or dictating and had a scribe writing, you can hear him. He's on fire. And he's, he's told us about the Lord. He's told us how we can have fellowship with him. And he stops. It's like he takes a breath and he says, my little children. That's a term of endearment. I got to tell on us, Al, last week, Al, Al, after, uh, Al Carey, after the message last week, he said, now what's this about John being an old man at 80 or 85? <laughs> you know, okay, I, I deserve that rebuke. <laughs> but here's this older man, the last of the apostles. Remember we said, he's, all of his friends are dead. He's suffered himself. And he's down to it, and his people are being attacked, and he gets very personal, and he looks at them all, my little children. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. You don't have to sin. I'm writing these things to him. Here's heart, that you may not sin as desires, that they would not sin. He's speaking about the bent of our lives. If... if our life is bent to sin continually. John is saying we don't have to live that way in Christ. We already have his victory over sin. Jesus didn't just kind of, you know, beat the devil up or whatever. He destroyed him. And sin is dead. Now, we struggle in this life. And ultimately, though, it's gone. When, when he comes back, it's gone. And, and we don't have to live that way. But wonderfully, because I do struggle with sin. So he says, but if anyone does sin, hear this, grandfather, little children, you don't have to live that way. But, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. <laughs> Remember Paul in Romans 8? Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. Who are you to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. There's our advocate right there, sitting right next to the Father, and it was my blood. And so when Lucifer sticks his bony little finger in your face and tells you how big a failure you are as a believer or whatever, you point at the blood of Christ and you say, that, I'm claiming the blood of Christ. Get out of my face. Jesus Christ had victory over sin. And John points us to Jesus and he says, we have an advocate. He's not just sitting around when, when life is happening or whatever. Father, that one's mine. I bought him. Of course, the Lord knows this. <laughs> Mystery of the Godhead, right? But the, the, uh, the, the Son of God is pleading our case. And it's not just an empty because I said so. John goes on. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Remember, Father, that big word, propitiation, 
I'm the one that satisfied your wrath in my blood. And in my body, you poured your wrath out on me. And so there's no one to condemn because he satisfied the just wrath of a holy, holy, holy God paid in full. And John, John uh, uh, he pleads with us, his little children. Never forget about Jesus. Never forget about the price he paid. A lot here in this little section of scripture. Um, you remember the beginning uh, when I was talking about the particles and all the rest that the fallen world, they don't know our Jesus. They don't know the God who, who literally holds their life in existence. And they follow a false God, self, other things. If we've come to know uh, God, one of the things that we've learned, if we've come to know the Lord in Christ, one of the things we've learned uh, is that God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all. No darkness. Total light. God is absolute purity without limitation in all His attributes in the sense that He, can't do, that he can do anything consistent with His holiness. Can God do anything? Well, define anything. God can do anything consistent with his holiness. He will never violate his holiness. So in that sense, there are things that God cannot do. God cannot sin. Cannot. But anything consistent with his holiness, and there's no darkness at all. Sin, death, error, all of it, none. And it will all be done away with ultimately ultimately done away with in absolute truth when we see Jesus. And I don't know how that's going to work when we get to heaven. There's a lot of speculation that theologians do um, because there's a lot that we're not told. So we know that we will see Jesus. We'll see him face to face and we're going to be like him. What about the Father? See, Father is spirit. Father is light. Uh, (laughs) So are the other two persons of the Godhead. There's the mystery of the incarnation. So, so what will the presence of the Father be like? We just don't know. But we know we'll be in the immediate presence of Jesus. No one between us. Face to face. You and your Lord. No sin. No error. No misconceptions. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. Number two, we learned that the world offers vain deceit. We lie to each other, we lie to ourselves, and we lie about God. I originally, on my notes here, I have, we can lie to each other, we can lie, and I crossed that out because the fact is we do lie. Should be the longer we walk with the Lord, as we grow with the Lord, that we lie less. In other words, we live authentic, real lives before each other, before a watching world, and and especially before the living God. You are of your father the devil, uh, Jesus said in John 8 in his dispute with the Pharisees. There's some hard words. <laughs> Jesus was no mamby-pamby. You know, he, he, he was straight up when he needed to be. And you're of your father the devil. Later on, he says, when he, the devil, when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Ultimately, that's what we're struggling with in the fall that uh, mankind experienced is we became children of the lie. God has not said you will surely die. Well, no, actually he did. What he chose to do, though, was to extend mercy because, in fact, Adam did not die the moment he sinned. God graciously let him wake up another morning. Then he took an animal and killed it and made clothes for him to cover his nakedness. And ultimately, he sent through the seed of the woman a Savior. And that Savior crushed the head of the serpent. We lie. But the Lord has provided a way for us to confess our sins so that he can forgive and cleanse us from the unrighteousness of our sins, chapter 2, verse 1, that he has provided the way so we can be righteous and holy in the presence of a thrice high God. And this is the wonder again, uh, our last thing that we've learned, the wonder of it all is that God has supplied the satisfaction for his perfect righteousness. I don't know how that worked in eternity. A lot about the mystery of the Godhead that we don't know. But the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh and lives among us. And then the, the, the death, and we're going to celebrate that here, aren't we, in a few weeks as we remember the death of Christ, but not just the death. Sunday, the resurrection of Christ in that victory. And he, that's the wonder of this whole thing there in John 1, 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of a holy God so justice can be fulfilled and we can know him, spend eternity with him, and we get the joy and the opportunity of sharing this truth with our friends, with our neighbors, uh, with people around the world as we have opportunity, as, as your church does through missionaries and other things where the gospel, that's, that's what it's all about. And the Lord has done that. That's the wonder. When John says, little children, remember the Lord. Remember what he's done. Remember the thrice holy God who said to you, not guilty. In all of the sin and the struggle, he's provided a way so that he can be God, holy, righteous, and you can be his child. What a blessing we have in Christ.